0: All right. So uh, welcome. Um, I am Ben Brown. I'm the owner of BSL Nutrition, uh, where we make smart nutrition simple. Uh, and I'm joined by Dan Dodd, owner of Dexafit. Dan, how you doing?
1: Good, Ben. Good. How you doing? Good to see you.
0: Good to see you, brother. Dan and I go way back. Um, we've known each other for, for, what, about the last 15 years or so. Yep. Um, we were roommates in graduate school at Arizona State University. So we know each other pretty well. Um, we've we've come up through the ranks, so to speak, together in terms of uh, um, both, you know, events through National Strength and Conditioning Association, through personal training, through um, basically just being in the fitness and, and nutrition and wellness industry for the last 15 years together and, and all of the uh, ebbs and flows that come with that. And so I'm, I'm really happy to be interviewing you, Dan, on your new venture. Um why don't you uh, just just give us a quick little background on uh, on what's going on with you? What what sort of led you to this point with uh, where you are now with DexaFit?
1: Yeah, uh, you know we you know obviously we we've gone back and you know we followed each other's career paths uh, for quite some time. And I sort of went the academic side of things, which which was really good and and I thoroughly enjoyed. And, and I still do a little bit on the academic side, but um, you know I worked in a uh, I ran a fitness. Uh, sorry, an exercise physiology lab for the past five years at Illinois State. And, uh, you know, we do very similar testing. We do body composition, uh, metabolic testing, cardiovascular testing, you know, the, the whole gamut of, of tests. And, and uh, you know, as I was sort of playing around uh, probably last summer, um, you know, I was looking at different – we're looking at equipment and different things, and, and all of a sudden, uh, DexaFit popped up. And, I, you know, knowing that the Dexa is one of the, uh, you know, body composition tests and, and the gold standard, we know professionally that it's the gold standard. I want to sort of find out a little bit more. And, uh, you know, one thing led to the other. I started reaching out to the owners of Dexafit. And and, uh, basically what it is, it's uh, we have 13 locations around the country. So we have 13 affiliates. So they're all independent uh, companies that that work under that umbrella. So, you know, we have a, uh, you know, an affiliate fee that we pay that, you know, as far as marketing and and promotions and website maintenance and things like that. So I like the fact that this is my own business, but I I still want to work under the umbrella of, of uh, some guiding principles and things like that so it seemed to be a natural progression I was doing very similar work at the university and uh, I've been looking at uh, uh, business opportunities for, for quite some time and this just was it was a good fit for me especially a, a great uh, move from from obviously the, the lab to my own lab yeah. uh, it was kind of nice uh.
0: so 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 you've been in academia your your whole career up until now and and sort of over the last few years, you've sort of been thinking about venturing off into creating your own business, but but obviously utilizing all of the methodology that you've been using throughout your career in terms of exercise physiology, testing, and everything like that, right? And yeah. so to tell us a little bit more about exactly what is Dexafit, what does it do, who is it catered to, um, what sort of services do you guys offer?
1: Yep, so three, the three main areas that we look at – we do the body composition analysis using a DEXA. So you can see the arm behind me. So what it is, it's a, it's a long table, uh, takes a shoot, shoots a small amount of radiation through, takes a snapshot, you know, goes along the body. And, and uh, from that, we can look at the, the tissue, uh, those measurements. So we get the lean tissue, the fat tissue, and then we get the bone density as well. So we can actually look at the, uh, the level of bone mineral content, which is, which is great. Uh, it's the only device out there that uh, commercially now that can do that, um, So it's sort of nice to have, but yeah, so now we can look at, you know, body composition from the top end, as opposed to using bioelectrical impedance devices or or skin faults. So that's uh, sort of the major part of the business. And then we do some cardiovascular assessments, uh, VO2 max testing, anaerobic threshold analysis. We look at uh, substrate testing, uh, the the amount of fat and carbohydrates that's being used. Um, during levels of intensity. Uh, and then we also do resting metabolic rates. So we have people lay lie down and, and go ahead and find out what their metabolic rate is in a resting position, and then we can start managing nutrition, which, you know, obviously you, you're very familiar with. And so we sort of look at, uh, um, you know, the both ends of the spectrum. And going back to your sort of point before, one of the reasons why I really enjoyed this uh, this business is because, People should be testing. You and I have been – we've worked together for many years and we were, you know, always testing athletes at some period uh, period of time and, and uh, it's an essential part. It's often a, a neglected part uh, when we talk about trainers and coaches just because, uh, because of a time commitment, maybe not an understanding of the, uh, the tests themselves or the results and what it actually means. You know, uh, so for me, I actually saw the value of thinking, okay, well, you know, if we're trying to put people – in directions and trying to put people from a to b well we got to find out what a is first right so so that's where DEXA fit comes in
0: yeah that that that's that's a good point that makes perfect sense um so you've got the body body composition and and so you assess body composition so you can find out someone's body fat levels with the dexa scan similar to um, what we're talking about previously or what a lot of trainers do is they do caliper testing and that's more superficial body fat testing. Obviously we can't test, uh, the, the depth of, uh, of our amount, total amount of body fat. It, it uses a bit of an algorithm, right? Depending on the formula that we use. But so there's, you know, so people understand there's a lot of different methodology in terms of pe- testing body fat. And, and, and what I often, um, talk to people about is, you know, there's no real way to to really determine exactly how much or the total percent of body fat unless right we're we're doing an autopsy or something like that. So, um, we, but we do want something that's repeatable, right? And 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 um, that has high validity, you know, from, from test to test. Which what we know in the industry is the DEXA scan is is kind of the gold standard of, of body composition testing. So, what have you noticed? Um, the difference, like what's the main difference between the DEXA scan versus if they're working with their personal trainer and their personal trainers may be doing three site or five site, or even, you know, I work with a lot of practitioners. We do 12 site body body composition testing. Um, and, and then I guess I'll correlate that to, um, the other popular methodology is bioelectrical impedance. And there's a lot of big devices on the market, like the in-body, um, and may, so maybe you could explain, um, the differences between, uh, those, those methodologies.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know, skin folds have been around for, for decades and, and, uh, it's a great, uh, it's a great form. But again, as you mentioned, it just takes the superficial fat. We don't get to see what's, uh, what's underlying, uh, you know, one of the good things about the Dexter it does do a visceral fat analysis. Nice. So it does find out how much fat is around those internal organs. So when we talk about a health perspective, yeah. Uh, you know, we, we can get into a little bit from that one. But, you know, one of the biggest, one of the major problems with skin fault testing is the, the inter-tester, well, two things, the intra-tester reliability and the inter-tester reliability. So, you know, who's to say that that, that trainer is actually getting the same pinch, the same side? Oh. Uh, and then if they're going from one person to the next, well, who knows what, what tests they're doing and what sites they're doing and, you know, levels of pinch and things like that. So, you know, even with those built-in equations, that, that estimation then starts to, to shrivel out a little bit, um, you know, depending on, on what's going on. And then, you know, even levels of adiposity, uh, when we start getting up to, to people with a higher percent of body fat, it may not be as easy to, to grasp those. Totally. Um, so then we sort of have some, are we just throwing it up in the air and guessing, or, or are we actually getting what's, what's really there? So, you know, that's with the, with the skin folds. And, and again, it's, it's not a bad measure. It's just, you know, when we talk about gold standards and things like that, we just now have uh, more applicable measures um the in bodies probably take it a little bit closer the, the bioelectrical pins. um but again with those they're based on levels of resistance so when you when you go ahead and you, and you take hold of whether the handheld or the foot to foot it's taking the electrical current through the body and it's based on water so it's it's past that current but the quicker the, the less resistance it gets through the body you know the the, the quicker that means obviously more the assumption is that more muscle is going to be able to hold more water, so there's going to be less resistance, so the current's going to pass through a lot right. quicker. And then you're going to have a lower percent body fat because you're going to be more lean. But it's based on the premise of uh, hydration. So right. people's variation levels of, of hydration are going to impact that, and that's where, on a consistency basis or a or liability basis, you know, think about when most people get tested, they get tested here well let's say in three months we're about to get into summer it could be 100 degrees Mm -hmm. in Arizona and obviously maybe a little bit dehydrated that's going to throw things uh, off a little bit Um, and it's still based on the assumption that 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 lean tissue holds specifically that amount of water and then they can make the assumption that that's how much lean tissue right again not bad but uh, uh, there's a few issues with with those but um, but again you know they're, they're close approximations but um, that sort of goes to the, to, the, to the point of the value of the dexter is, you know, is close enough, good enough, especially when you're trying to repeat the test. Right. Uh, and, and that's the biggest advantage with the dexter is we know it's going to give consistent measures every time uh, so we can give people a little bit more reliable information when we're saying, okay, well, you're 17% here and now you're 15% instead of maybe going, okay, you're 17 here and, and well, maybe you could be 20%, maybe you could be 14%. I'm right. not quite sure.
0: Yeah, yeah, totally. And and you make some great points in that because, I mean, from a, from um well, I've done thousands of, um, of caliper measurements over the years now. And and I've noticed huge variations, of course, is um, if we're working with a female and where she is in her menstrual cycle, obviously, she's going to be retaining certain, you know, more water leading into her menstrual cycle and, and various times throughout throughout the month, and so that makes a very big difference um, in terms of weight and then in terms of how that algorithm uh, uses the weight in terms of classifying percentage of body fat. And then similarly is when you talk about um, someone that's very overfat or someone that, that has both a lot of, um, of adipose tissue and visceral, and visceral fat is sometimes they're very difficult to measure. Like, you physically can't get a hold of the amount of body fat and or they're so inflamed that their tissue is so rigid it's it's nearly impossible to get an accurate measurement and that's becoming the case you know more and more as we as our population becomes more uh, you know overfat, and it's just a it's just a sad fact and so you know oftentimes i'm talking to people about not putting too much and like i said before not putting too much emphasis into that total number but but using it just as one modality to track progress you know, across the journey. And then same deal with the bioelectrical impedance is it's so heavily influenced by hydration levels. So if you were to measure, you know, it, whether it be the same day, but you measure different times of the day, it's gonna give you a different number. And so it's very difficult for people, especially general population, to be very consistent about saying, look, you need to measure upon waking without anything in your system, you know, again is a female somewhere in her menstrual cycle, something like that, it's gonna throw those those results off. So something having you know having something like the DEXA scan that you know doesn't necessarily take those factors into account and, and can create a little more reliability across the board is really important, especially if we're working with someone who's maybe has a fat loss goal and saying, okay, over the course of the next 12 weeks, you know, we want to see from, like, let's say they're coming in every two to four weeks or something like that. What well, could be incredibly discouraging to measure once and then come in, you know, three or four weeks later and have the number presented as something higher when in actuality, you know, they may just have different hydration levels um, and maybe a different time of day, right? Something like that. So it's, a, it's really good points. Um, so you had mentioned testing resting metabolic rate can you um dive into that a little bit more kind of explain what that is and how we would utilize it yep so
1: you know uh, we we see it more so here from a weight loss standpoint so people that are looking to really lose weight and it's not you know it's heavily used for a weight loss uh sort of category i guess but we do have athletic populations that are looking at it from a weight gain and it becomes valuable for that information but there's two there's two factors so you have your basal metabolic rate and then you have your resting metabolic basal metabolic rate is, is the minimum amount of, of energy that your body needs to maintain all its operation uh, operating uh, systems but it's hard to capture we can only capture that in an enclosed room obviously controlling everything and, and uh, you know a person's got to be uh, sleeping and and we're trying to measure the amount of oxygen that's being uh, consume the amount of carbon dioxide that's being uh, expelled. We really, from a practitioner standpoint, we really can't make that happen because that's more of a, a very, very clinical uh, setting. So we take it a step further and we can look at a resting metabolic rate, which is very similar, but obviously people have woken up, they're now active or, or somewhat active and we try to get them in a very rested state for, for a period of time and we're still doing the same thing. We're still measuring uh, the amount of oxygen that's being consumed versus the amount of carbon dioxide that's being expelled. And from that, we know that when we metabolize um, you know, energy uh, to allow our body to operate, we're use, using oxygen to do that. We know based on how much oxygen is being used, we can find out how much energy is actually being metabolized. Uh, so that's what we're using, is we're, we're examining how much is actually being utilized and then taking that information to find out how many uh, calories are being expended uh, to maintain operations in the body. And why that's valuable is we can find out in a resting state. Okay, so you wake up in the morning, you lay there, we can find out how much energy your body needs if you stayed like that for the next 20 hours. So from a weight loss standpoint, and I give you, it doesn't make too much sense until you give give people some analogies. You know, if somebody's, which I quite often see, uh, resting metabolic rate comes out of 1,500, uh, which is about typical for for most females and about uh, 1,800 to 2,000 for, for most guys. I might have individuals that come in that are only consuming 1,100 calories a day or right.
0: 1,200
1: calories a day. So they're not even meeting their, their minimum requirements for their... And that's not taking into consideration their general activity or their physical activity or exercise. So you know, they're only consuming uh, you know, this much, but they're actually expending that much while well, their body you would think, okay, your body would lose weight, but in, in essence, your body may not be, may be holding on to that uh, and not releasing that fat for energy purposes. Right. It's it's saying, hey, well, we need it. Our body needs to, to, to keep using that because we need to stay alive. Um, so getting back to your point, though, the, the value of the resting metabolic rate, we want to find out what's that minimum level, and then we want to get an idea of, a, of an individual's activity level on a daily basis or their exercise level, and then we can start measuring... Uh, monitoring their nutrition and their exercise programs. Um, But we also go a little bit step further when we look at uh, protein intake. So we try to combine the DEXA uh, with the the RMRs because we can look at lean tissue levels and we know Two things we know when people lose weight, they typically have a reduction in their RMR. That's a natural uh, progression when people lose weight. But what we don't want to do is lose muscle mass. Exactly, so we know the advantage of maintaining muscle mass from energy expenditure, daily activity levels, you know, performance you name it. The value of the, the lean tissue is important. So we sort of combine that information to try and keep people when they're doing nutritional programs to maintain their levels. We get them into resistance training. And then sort of combine that information to to make sure that yes, if they do lose weight or they do reduce their their caloric intake, we're preserving some of that lean tissue, so yeah, they have that, that the negative effects on their on their body.
0: Yeah, that's that's a great point. Combining the DEXA and um, the perceived RMR, so so we could we could look at their DEXA scan and we could say, okay, you have you know. 175 pounds of of lean muscle tissue, and and you know we know in certain nutrition classifications we would say okay well you know we know we you need to be consuming at least a gram of protein per pound of lean body mass as an example, and so you've got that number right there, and then so once we understand their protein needs, then we can use the RMR and say okay well if you need 2,000 calories per day at rest, and then you're exercising an additional say 500 calories. You know, on average, or something like that, we can say, okay, so based on 2,500 calories, we know we need, you know, we we have X percentage. So whatever, 175 times four grams, four calories per gram. So you could right then and there know what their protein needs are, um, and depending on whether or not they're trying to uh, obviously gain muscle mass or lose body fat, we could tweak the 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 formula accordingly. So that would be very valuable information for both the general population to have, especially. Um, and well, anyone who's trying to lose body fat or trying to gain muscle mass, right? And and it would be easy to fluctuate their protein needs based on their lean, understanding their, their true lean muscle mass. Um, and then, uh, and then it would be really valuable information as I see it for any personal trainers to have or nutritionists, um, so that they could more reasonably put together their, a nutrition plan for their clients, Right. Like I know I'll get sort of a perceived RMR based on depending on like which body fat testing methodology I use. And then we'll kind of, and then I'll first establish a protein goal. So whether it's, um, if someone's trying to increase muscle mass, we'll usually go, you know, at least one gram of, of protein kind of per pound or per pound of lean, lean muscle mass, um, and above, uh, for, increase in muscle mass and then sticking around there for fat loss. Um, but kind of based on that, then uh, I can use that number and start them there and give them a plan to start there. So this would be really valuable information for a personal trainer and nutritionist to have, because then you can start them and then you can obviously just track the progress. And if you go, you know, a couple of weeks and you see, okay, well, yeah, you're losing body fat. Like if they come in and measure with the DEXA scan every couple weeks, okay, great, you're losing maybe half a percent every week or, or thereabouts, then we're on a really good path. You know, Maybe you're losing a pound a week, a pound to two pounds, depending on how aggressive we're being. And you have a very good idea of how the client's progressing. Um, and, and then it also tells you how you would need to tweak the program because obviously if nothing's changing or they're on a fat loss plan but they're gaining weight, well, then we've got some issues and we need to adjust their caloric intake, Right.
1: And that, you know, it brings up a good point because, uh, um, you know, one of the, the, the things I've noticed with being at testing facilities, we have people that say, you know, well, I don't want to test because maybe I don't want to know. And, you know, and that's coming from trainers as well. They're like, well, I don't really, you know, I don't really want to know if, if things are changing too much. I'm sort of just going to eyeball it and go from there. And and whether it be a, a fear that maybe their program's not being effective because because people are paying money for it, for results, right. right? But, you know, on the, on the backside is – shouldn't that be a good thing? Shouldn't that be to hold people more accountable yeah. to, hey, look at your program. Maybe there's something that you can tweak a little bit and, and get people going. Maybe, you know, and it's not just accountability for the trainers, but accountability for the, for the client. Hey, did you really follow what we talked about? Did you really, really? Know, take that? approach and and uh so you know that becomes the value for those numbers but you know going back to your point i mean that's absolutely right what that's exactly what we do with this information from the nutritional side and say hey these are your levels here's what we think you can play with let's monitor now let's let's tighten it up and then and then uh you know bring it back in and get checked again
0: yeah that's that's really good stuff that's really valuable stuff so Okay, so we covered the DEX, So we covered the RMR, and then you also mentioned the VO2 max testing. So let's talk about VO2 max, um, well, certainly what it is, um, how it's applicable to both athletes, and then how how would the VO2 max be applicable to the general population?
1: Yeah, so the VO2 max typically has always been a, a for an athletic population a performance variable for uh, finding out what levels of fitness. Now, I'll talk about it from the from the just general population first. It's a great identifier of levels of cardiovascular fitness. So from yeah. a health cardiovascular risk factor, we can use that test and that information to identify how likely is that person to to possibly have some cardiovascular based issues and, and uh, from their from their result. On the other side of it, we look at it from a performance standpoint, but we don't tend to look at well. It seems in the field now we're not looking at just uh, VO two max as as an indicator of performance, um, because you know, let's say somebody comes out and they have a VO two max of fifty, and you have two people that come out there a VO two max of fifty. Well. they can still still perform very differently in a race. So the VO2 max gives us a general idea of of, uh, levels of fitness and performance. We can take it a step further and we can look at anaerobic threshold and that point where the lactate starts to accumulate too much and affect performance. So we can say, okay, well, here's your VO2 max, here's your anaerobic threshold, and then we can organize training programs based on it. Do they need to get fitter? or do they need to, to work on improving their anaerobic threshold? Um, so what we do with the VO2MAX test is I'll come in and we can do a walking protocol, we can do a running protocol. Uh, I have a, a trainer set up so anyone that's a cyclist can come in and get a, a cycling uh, test as well. So they'll come in, we do basically we do what's called a ramping protocol where we will either increase speed or incline or, or resistance to the bike and uh, have people go from a very low effort all the way up to to maximum until they can't do any more and they're completely spent. At the same time, time, we have a mask for them and uh, it's closed in and we're actually uh, recording the same as the RMR, we're we're recording the amount of oxygen that's been consumed versus the amount of carbon dioxide uh, that's been uh, expelled and from that we can start to look at what substrate's being used, whether it be fat or whether it be carbohydrate. Uh, When we talk about blood lactate, for example, we know that, you know, especially when we stay get to those levels, we're really expelling a lot of carbohydrates. You know, we're we're trying to buffer uh, the blood lactate in the blood and and that becomes the the outcome. So from that, we can start to play around from a training standpoint, purposely an endurance training standpoint um, for most of the athletes. For a general population, though, we can still use the same information. Um, And we talked a little bit about this uh, yesterday that, you know, you might have somebody that comes in and you'll say, well, what are you doing right now? And they say, well, I go for a walk every morning and I go for a walk and I walk 20 minutes or or 30 minutes. We can mimic that intensity on on the treadmill with the gas and find out what's happening metabolically. Uh, Is what they're doing uh, actually an advantage for them? Are they using uh, a lot of fat as their dominant fuel source? or do they need to go longer or do they need to go harder or do they need to maybe incorporate a little bit more high intensity uh, interval training of some kind to try and get their system to respond a little bit differently. So, so that's really what the value is for, for the VO2 max and, and the substrate analysis is we can, it's, it's purely a programming oriented test. Um, it really helps people identify what they should be doing from a cardiovascular side, whether it be endurance for athletes or just, uh, you know, selection modality, uh, long, slow distance or long, slow stuff or some high intensity interval stuff.
0: Yeah. Yeah, With the, with the increased popularity um, and justifiably so of like HIIT training, high intensity interval training and the value of, of doing HIIT training as it pertains to increasing VO2 max and total cardiovascular fitness, right? We know that Um, you can mimic the effects of long, slow distance cardio training with some short bursts of high intensity, which is very cool. Um, And a lot of people are getting interested and a lot of trainers are implementing into their clients' programs. So in my mind, I see um, the VO2 submax testing as a means to um, just look at improved... um, aerobic and anaerobic threshold levels, right, of just, of just classifying aerobic fitness. And so for those people, you know, especially those people that like to see progress and like to see numbers, um, and same for the trainers as well in terms of assessing their client's progress, but being able to see that their client's actually improving, you know, from week to week, month to month in terms of their cardiovascular fitness, especially someone that's coming from maybe a sedentary state, um, uh, maybe on a, a weight loss plan, and then even for someone who's like a quote unquote weekend warrior that really wants to get more serious about their cardiovascular fitness, and actually seeing that what they're doing is is making a difference, um, I would envision that to be pretty beneficial aspect of the VO2. And then the one other thing I'll add, when you talked about the substrate utilization, so basically what we're talking about is when someone's depending on that, and correct me if I'm wrong, but depending on the type of exercise or the intensity of the exercise that someone's doing, we're basically burning different levels of fats and carbohydrates and proteins. And, and so as we work towards higher intensities, we're becoming more carbohydrate dominant. And then conversely, if we're just, let's say not doing anything, or we're just going for a slow walk we're we're going to be utilizing more fat as fuel. Is that, is that correct? And so something that I've encountered throughout my career and, and something that's, Um, I guess uh, potentially a very big issue is uh, one thing I see is for recreational aerobic athletes and let's use runners as an example is the, I would say probably like the majority of runners in general are pretty slow runners, um, or they're not terribly competitive. They're just doing it for the fun of it, which is, which is great, but they're not, they're not running at such high intensities that they're going to be utilizing tons of carbohydrate as fuel. Does that sound right? And and so, you know, typically we see runners competing in like half marathons and they're running maybe, you know, nine or 10 plus minute miles, I, I would say would probably be pretty realistic in which case it's important for them to understand that they're probably utilizing a lot more fat as fuel because it's, a, it's really a relatively low intensity endeavor versus those that are terribly competitive and they're using a lot more carbohydrate as their predominant energy source. And my point in that is that we have a lot of people that have body composition concerns that are running because they're, they're using it as a way to burn calories, as a way to lose body fat. But when they're running, they're consuming a tremendous amount of carbohydrate because of the perception that, just because they're exercising, they need to be taking in more fuel, when in reality is they're moving so slowly, and it's no offense, but they're moving so slowly that they really are just burning mostly fat. Is that right?
1: Yeah, yeah the relative intensity, yeah. So, so somebody that uh, you know, may be you know, going for a, for a half marathon, maybe just a, a nice slow job because they're, just, they're not trained, they're not accustomed to, to running at, at higher intensities versus, you know, some of our lead endurance athletes, they're running at, at the threshold or just below for an entire, for an entire race. You know, they're, they're right. you know, we had some in here that are, you know, 630 uh, minute miles for an entire half marathon. Exactly. It's you know, crazy. Um, so yeah, they're different levels, but for those individuals, yeah, they're going to be expending a lot more carbohydrate through two and a half, three hours of a, of a, of a race. Um, but on saying that too, that you get somebody that, uh, you know, is a little bit lower intensity relative to their, uh, to their effort level um but they you know as far as a half marathon they might be doing a, a 2 or, or 3 hour half marathon which you know like yeah. The time, yeah they're burning more uh, uh more fat and then that the carbohydrate is just because of longevity of the, of the race but yeah they're burning they're going to be burning mostly fat during that uh that period of time yeah
0: talk- and so and so they're kind of sabotaging themselves because you know let's say they're in their training you know maybe they're training multiple times per week and they're taking tons of gel packs and Gatorade type drinks and stuff like that. But really what's happening is just ending being a tremendous amount of excess carbohydrate and and potentially excess calories. Um, So, so the point being that it would be valuable for them to kind of understand where their substrate utilization or how much fat protein and carbs they're actually utilizing, depending on the intensity levels so that they can just then get a much better idea of how they should be consuming those fuels, you know, in and around their workouts
1: right and you're never going to you know ultimately you can deplete your, your stores but you're never going to be able to play catch up in a in typically in a marathon yeah. setting but we just try and keep the the levels elevated a little bit but you're right you know people that are training you know they, they probably don't need to be throwing down a ton of gatorades and, and uh, gel packs during a eight mile or a 10 mile right. uh, training session but yeah, if they go to a half marathon or they go to a marathon then and we educate them on that and, and that's how we find so uh, we can get not only the total caloric expenditure, but we can also get the split between fats and carbohydrates, which is really nice for people to see. Because then, yeah, we can start to manage that a little bit, little bit better as far as how much carbohydrate they should be actually consuming.
0: Very cool. Um, so, so you guys do. So, so you work with. Obviously, you work with athletes. You work with general population, and then you work with trainers that themselves come in and get tested and you know utilize them the testing methods and then um, their clients as well so talk to me about kind of what a typical what the typical process is for someone that comes in or someone that's looking to come in and and get tested
1: yeah so so we go through so there's some pre-test protocols that we try to make sure that everybody has so just to try and get a clean slate across the board we we try to make sure that nobody's having any food for about three or four hours, don't exercise for about three or four hours, avoid caffeine, uh, just to really just get a clean slate so that we, we do that each time. So going back to your point about validity and reliability, we want to make sure that we're getting those same clean pitches every time, um, whether it be the DEXA or the VO2 max, it's not as dependent for the, for the DEXA. Uh, but it is it is very important for the for the resting metabolic rate and the DEXA because we want to find out exactly uh, sorry resting metabolic rate and the VO2 because we want to find out a clean picture of what's happening <laughs> metabolically uh, through their system. So, um, but a client will come in. We obviously have our, our uh, forms they'll fill out. We'll find out uh, what they're doing. Depending on the test, we'll go through. We'll get them set up uh, as far as the the test itself we we'll run through the tests, and then I sit down with them and, and go through the results uh, for about anywhere from 20, 30 minutes to an hour, depending on, on the number of tests they've had, the type of tests they've had uh, and go from there. Now, if they have a trainer or a coach already, then I like to bring that trainer and coach in or, or get them involved as much as possible because you know, obviously they're going to see them more than I will on a daily basis. You know, most coaches and trainers I work with here, are, you know, anywhere from three times a week to, to six times a week, you know, and they're going to have a much major, much more major impact on that person's, uh, you know, goals and, and uh, ability to get to their goals than I will on just a, you know, a half hour, an hour uh, appointment. So if that's the case, then it's really good to try and get that uh, that group together because then we can Talk. We can look at the, the whole training program. The the coach can now look at the results and listen to how I'm breaking them down, and also find out. Okay, is that how I'm training the person? Is that how I'm programming that that individual? Can I tweak a few things? They ask questions. I ask questions, and then we really try and take that sort of holistic approach and say, let's look at nutrition. Let's look at your exercise routine. Let's look at your stress levels. Let's look at everything, and let's come up with a good plan for the next, you know, two to three months. Um, you know, I try to get people in you know, one to two-month span. Three months is good, but uh, what we what we can often find is people fall off the wagon Yeah. Uh, in three months. So they, they start really well, but then, you know, uh, maybe not as good for that sort of back third. uh totally. So, you know, one month is, is for those people that are, are aggressive and they really take a, a really strong approach at, at making some changes. But two months gives us a good, good picture of what's happening and then we do the same thing and, and, and go from there.
0: Yeah, I mean, I would envision... You know, even from an accountability standpoint, is if someone knows, you know, that they're going to come in and get measured again, they're going to be a lot. It, odds are good they're going to be a lot more compliant. Um, and so, you know, I could I could see certainly getting measured every few weeks to a month, and then just kind of knowing, like, and then setting up in advance, knowing that they're coming in to get those measurements. So that sounds awesome.
1: Yeah, I've been uh, I've been sort of having a little bit of a. Uh, we say it's an informal competition. We're one of the trainers here uh, in Tiana, you know, owns a business. Todd, who you uh, interviewed. Um, yeah. yeah. So, and not that we're competing against each other, but we had Dex's around the same time and, and just, just sits in the back of the head that, hey, we're about due for that next Dex yeah. in the next week. So, it's the same thing. I'm accountable. He's accountable. We're just sort of, you know, thinking that it's not far away. And, we, we you know, it keeps us on, on task. Well, you know,
0: when you're uh... – when you're over 50 years old, I mean, it becomes a lot harder to lose body fat. So (laughs) Uh, I was playing. Um, cool, man. That sounds great. Well, uh, anything else that, uh, no, I mean, we just, you know, one of the
1: things I guess, uh, probably more so important and, you know, you and I are a little bit different. We started out very differently. I was more, um, you know, coming from, uh, sort of perform well. I guess we're, we're both the same, you know, strength and conditioning and performance, and, and more the exercise part. But you really went nutrition uh, side uh, once we sort of finished uh, our degree programs, and and I kept going from the uh, from the strength and conditioning side. But I got to tell you, once I've been back in this uh, industry again, uh, especially as an owner and working with individuals, you know, I forget how important nutrition was. And, and not saying I didn't—I forgot about it. It's just you see the value of it, and uh, you know. So working with guys like yourself is great because you know we bring that back into the, the scope. People focus maybe too much on the the exercise side and not enough on, on the nutrition side.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, look, you know, it's—I mean, we, you know, we're matters what we're putting in our mouth, uh, day in and day out. And obviously we only have so many exercise sessions or can only make time for some of the exercise sessions. And, and then we'll, even as, you know, we can't compensate with exercise for what we're eating that. And that's just not a healthy, healthy way to go about doing it, which a lot of people think that they can do, especially when they're younger. But we know as we're getting older, that it just doesn't work like that. And you've got to be a lot more diligent and consistent about, the nutrition and supplementation and, and lifestyle factors and stress management and sleep and all of that stuff. So it's, I think it's awesome that you're, you're plugging all of that stuff in for people. It really sounds like a comprehensive approach that they're getting when they come in to see you. Um, with that said, mm-hmm. it, you know talk about where people can come in, where they can find you and where they can find you know the Dexafit locations.
1: Yeah, so I'm based in Central Illinois, in Bloomington, Normal. So we're about two hours uh, south of Chicago. We have two locations in Chicago. We have uh, Houston, uh, Dallas, uh, New Orleans, Vegas, San Francisco. Uh, I'm missing a, a few. Uh, okay. Tampa uh, down in Boca down there. Uh, some great locations. Really doing some good things down there, and, and uh, so they're popping up. We're, we're expanding every day, and, and uh, hoping to have. I think close to 20 by the end of the uh, the year, uh, which would be great. And, you know, we're the first business to be able to commercialize uh, the DEXA. Uh, you know, it still has very clinical orientations. We still have to go through radiation checks and training and, and whatnot. So it still has that very clinical, but uh, it's it's more available now for people to go and schedule in versus having to go, you know, meet with a doctor first, then go yeah. referred, then, you know, and that could take anywhere from two weeks to three weeks to get done versus people can just give me a call and, and you know, book them in that day. So,
0: Cool. Yeah. Um, what's the, what's the website where they can find the Dexafit?
1: Dexafit.com. Uh, okay. Yep. Is the pretty standard. And then uh, you can go through locations, find uh central Illinois, but I'm on uh, Facebook at uh, Dexafit central Illinois. Uh, you can follow us along and, and uh, usually I'm plugging your stuff and, you know yeah right on
0: and um uh, what if someone wanted to get a hold of you personally
1: yep uh so they can give me a call or shoot me an email at dan.dodd at dexafit.com uh or 309-706-4363
0: awesome thanks a lot brother um it's been a pleasure as always and
1: uh this more often
0: yeah we'll talk again soon
1: all right bud yeah